A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Wood Talk Online Radio, for woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now, here are the three guys who actually are under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Okay, it's episode 82 for April 12th, 2011. On today's show, we will not be discussing what saws a beginning woodworker really needs. We did that twice in the past two shows. Uh, But we will talk about, well... A weird thing, but certainly timely, taxes. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the future of woodworking, as well as a buttload of content from the magazines, blogs, and forums. And I do want to make a a special note here that we are not live. So if you're listening to this on your iPod or on your computer or on the website, you did not miss a live session. We are trying this. We're we're sort of having a little private moment between the three of us and uh, seeing how this goes without a live audience. Pillow talk. Yeah, a little pillow Mark, talk. Matt and I yeah. finally feel like we're together. That's sort what's of, nice. It's a private moment. It's very nice. But before we get into all the nitty gritty and all that good stuff, Matt, can you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. As always, you know, there are different ways you can get a hold of us. One of the ways is not live right now, so don't worry about it, as Mark mentioned at the beginning there. But if you have a comment, question, or a suggestion about something that you've heard in today's show, or maybe something you'd like to hear on an upcoming episode, either live or intimate like we're doing right now uh you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail on our voicemail at 623-242-5180 of course you can skype us on our very own skype line which is woodtalkonline you can find all three of us on twitter as at renaissance ww for shannon at wood whisperer for mark and at mbw podcast for matt look for us on facebook and especially head on over to the forum at woodtalkonline.com because, as I've mentioned before, one or all three of us are usually kicking around someplace on there. Or once in a while, I think I've been kicked off. I think <laughs> it, was just one, yeah. it was just one time, man. <laughs> yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. It wasn't, I <laughs> didn't mean to 
do what I did, but it just happened. You crossed the line. That's all. <laughs> you were young. You needed the money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's the story of my life. But I'm no longer young after this week. Uh, the birthday is going to be kicking my butt pretty soon. I'm already looking at, like I think I said this before, my midlife crisis. I'm, I've got a list. I'm narrowing it down, um, and I'm really trying to decide what is going to work best for me. Mm. Um, Cor- so that's, a whole, that's a whole other show. What does the woodworker do at a wood, for a midlife crisis? He buys a Corvette. Yeah. Do you yeah, still or, buy a Corvette? <laughs> you just don't put the table saw on the back of it or bring lumber home in it. <laughs> right. It just, it just has a laser and soft start. That's right. And the one thing for sure, you don't put a bench in there. And with that said, I say we head on over to what's going on on the bench. And Shannon, why don't you kick that off for us? What do you have going on over on your bench? I was an awesome Or laying segment. on your bench. He's good. On. He's good with the segues. I have, um, well, I'm still working on this uh, hand tool school final project, the tool cabinet. I'm actually dovetailing together cherry carcasses. Is the plural of carcass carcasses? Carcassi? Carcassi. You need to ask a coroner that. <clears throat> but it's, I, I, was, uh, I was editing some video last night, and uh, I, I have 125 board feet of cherry. Um, I don't need all that for this. I only need like 50 board feet of cherry for this. But I, I got the whole pack um, when I got the cherry. And I have it like spread out around the shop because I was trying to figure out you know, piece boards together for color and grain pattern and all that. And where's the sapwood? And, and I just laid them up against the wall and it's like the coolest shot ever. It's like, <laughs> I'm standing amongst walls and walls of cherry. It's like woodworkers heaven. Nice. And and I'm standing here at the bench and I'm dovetailing together carcasses. And there's just, it, it, imagine just paneling your shop and rough sawn cherry. That's what it looked what, like. It was cool. What I'm seeing is you now have the, the the sight of what it would be like if you were the wood nymph that was living in the tree before it was cut down. <laughs> the poor little wood nymph <laughs> whose whose home you destroyed apparently. Right. I, I think I'm just gonna change the name of my podcast to the wood nymph. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, how it. about you, Matt? What's on your bench? Uh well right now, um the plywood just arrived for the build that I was talking about last week. We have, have a nice set of uh, pretty much a, a, an entire wall of uh, bookshelves that's coming up. And I was watching a video by this guy named The Wood Whisperer, and I was saw him uh, ripping some uh, plywood for a cart that he was building. And it was funny because I was thinking, I've got the same exact plywood. Mine looks identical to that. <laughs> nice. And you know the funny thing is – Again, we, we've talked about this numerous times on our, on our various shows and, of course, here on Wood Talk Online. When it comes to buying a really good plywood, it's insane. It's just unbelievable how much of a difference there is to it. And I did pretty much the, the, the same thing as I, I think what you mentioned in, in your episode, Mark, where it was this idea of using uh, not exact, a shop-grade plywood. Right, yeah. And, and it, the stuff I looked at, at at the home center, to be honest with you, had some – the veneer looks a little bit nicer, but again, I'm going to be painting this, so I'm not too worried about it. But the plies and the overall construction of this plywood is just, there's no comparison there whatsoever. In fact, the freshest stuff at the home center right now, the stuff that is still bundled, you know, they've got the straps on it, that it's still sitting up on top. They're waiting for the old stuff to get out of the way and bring that one down. You can already see it's starting to kind of take that potato chip form. <laughs> right. And they still got the packing straps on it. So, you know, I, I'm, I've got about a week before I'm really going to have a chance to, to go gung-ho on this thing and start ripping it down. And even though we had a major weather fluctuation this weekend in Michigan, I mean, we went from like 40 degrees to 70 within like about 24, 36-hour period. Wow. This stuff's been sitting out in my garage, and it has yet to even have a look like it's going to begin to ripple. And 
I know if I brought home that home center stuff, I would be like, you know, looking at ruffles right now all over the place. It'd be insane. It's as soon as you get it unpacked and it's not like sandwiched between two other pieces and it's, you know, sort of losing moisture from all sides. They mm-hmm. just, I mean, they just warp like crazy, you know, it, and uh, it, just a few bucks more. And, and sometimes it's actually about the same price when it comes down to it. Uh, you, yep. you can get even just the shop grade ply from a good dealer and it's a night and day difference. Yeah. And, and this, that's, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was doing some research on plywood grading the other day at work for mm-hmm. a, an upcoming blog post. And you can't even find the home center plywood on those grading charts. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I was looking through it thinking, you know, shop grade plywood is still really good quality stuff. And you're like looking down for, you know, D faces, E faces, F faces, G, H. And it's like, where's the Home Depot Lowe's stuff? It's not even, I mean, it's it's just crap. That's the stuff. That's the stuff that falls off the truck while they're on their way somewhere else. <laughs> it's much. in a league all its own. Basically is what you're saying. Yeah. Mm, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's that. That's pretty much the, the big thing going on for my, the only other fun part about the plywood was um, apparently I wasn't home when it was delivered and the uh, guy that was supposed to take it off. Apparently the regular guy was gone. So I got a phone call from my wife going, um, did you make any arrangements? Because uh, this guy looks like he's about to die. In fact, he, apparently he was the retired yard guy. They brought him in for the day. He called ahead and basically was like, I really hope you have somebody there because I can't move this stuff. <laughs> so, wow. So I owe my neighbor a uh, six pack right now. John, thanks a lot for all the help. I'll get you back. Um, never. So um, I really appreciate the assistance. <laughs> he needs a he needs a gorilla gripper. There you go. I never thought about that because I'm probably going to get another load of plywood somewhere in the future. And there's a good chance that, you know, John, the retired yard man, will be the one who will want John, my neighbor, to take it off there the truck you go. for him. Dude, you got, I mean, those things are great. If you guys start working with a lot of plywood and you need to move the sheets around, it seems a little gimmicky, but it works really, really well. Nice. They got those, that pretty that. little clamp on it, too, so it doesn't do anything to the wood. Yeah, yeah. It's got that little rubberized coating on the inside. Gorilla Gripper. Awesome stuff. Sweet. Kind so of a nice spokesmodel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I haven't even seen any commercials for that. I guess they stopped, like, the heavy-duty promotion of that, but those, <laughs> those commercials were good. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I barely remember <laughs> what the thing looked like other than the spokesperson. So anyway, so before I get myself in trouble, <laughs> let's move on to you, Mark. What do you have going on in your bench? A uh, couple things. It's all, you know, still all about the shop these days. Uh, I'm working on a cross cut sled today and I, I'm using some of this HDO plywood. It's an inch and one eighth in thickness. So it's pretty substantial, but it's got that nice fiber overlay on both sides. And it's uh it's interesting stuff. Cause it's like, it's, I won't say dead flat, but pretty darn close. And the material is not something I would have gone out and purchased, you know, like a full sheet of. This is just leftover stuff from my buddy Ron's CNC process. So I guess he had some that he used for a customer and he had all these offcuts. So I was like, well, you know, they're kind of oddly shaped. I guess I could use them for something. But I'm thinking, uh, you know, an auxiliary fence for the table saw, even the bandsaw jigs. And of course, now I'm using it to do the... Um, uh, to do the crosscut sled. So the fences now have this, you know, very hard material. And I, I think that's one thing that bothers me about a lot of jigs. Sometimes if you make them with all wood materials, it's got a certain softness to it that doesn't feel quite as good as when you're using a metal or a plastic jig. When you yeah. are, you know, you go to register something onto a piece of wood, it just doesn't feel quite as secure as when it's registering off of metal and plastic. So um, so this surface just feels, I feel more confident in it. And I think I'm just going to, when it's all said and done, have a better product uh, in this crosscut sled that's going to last a lot longer. 
Um, so, but it's my first time working with the stuff. So it was kind of interesting. And at, uh, an inch and an eighth, it's almost like when you look at the cross section, the plies are like an eighth of an inch thick each. So <laughs> it, it just looks like, like when you're holding it, it looks like I just got a little tiny hand and I'm holding a regular piece of plywood. <laughs> <laughs> like if you took the picture just the right way, it would look exactly like that. Uh, which reminds me of a SNL skit that was on this weekend, but that's a little dirty. I won't talk about that. Um, anyone who saw it knows what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. That was a good one. (laughs) Okay. So, um, the other thing I'm working on is, well, I just finished up the, uh, the last details on the finishing book and that is ready to go to print and EPUB format. And it'll be, well, I don't know exactly when it's going to be done. Probably will be released when the printing is done. Uh, but so wait, you're you're printing it too? I thought you were going entirely ebook. We were going to do that, but then we realized that a lot of people want a tangible book, so we're going to get a small run of uh, you know hard hardcover, you know good quality, um, you know standard book that I'll, I'll be able to sign my name or not, should they prefer me not sign it. Um, but it, we figured we had to, you know, plus it's the first time I've written anything that could even be remotely referred to as a book. And it just would be nice to have, you know, something a little more official than just, uh, than just the actual document on the computer. So and sure. I'd like to be able to put that up on the bookshelf and look at it and go, I knew him when. Yeah. I'll send when. you, I'll send you a complimentary one, Matt, just for you. Oh, thanks. Mm. Um, well, you want to make sure that it's not too sturdy it, though. though. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just it. forge the name on there. In fact, you, it doesn't look like you, the same one I have. You sign it and then send it back to me. There you go, do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, I'm I'm excited about that. It's it's new territory for me. I don't know what to expect in terms of like you know, I've never thrown something like that out there to to let people consume and and give me feedback on. So we'll see. I don't know. Um, the other thing is the design of the green and green Adirondack chair that I'm I'm sort of co-designing with Aaron Marshall. Uh, for the guild, and this is coming up for the build that we're just starting in May, which is probably going to be like mid-May, second week of May-ish, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We're we're taking some traditional green and green elements and a standard Adirondack chair and sort of morphing them together so that it just becomes this you know this this new entity in and of itself. And I, I know I've seen a few in the past, but uh, Shannon, you and I were talking about this before that I'm trying to avoid any influences of previous attempts at, at making a green and green Adirondack chair because <laughs> yeah, I, well, I mean the Adirondack chair itself, I mean, talk about a form that's been beaten. To yeah. Death. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it's like. I, I'd love to build one. I just don't want to build your traditional standard, uh, standard chair. And the cool thing is that we're doing with this is we're going back to the original patents uh, for the original Adirondack chair, what the, the modern nice. Adirondack chair was, was derived from. And there's actually quite a few differences. So we, we went back to that and used that as our starting point uh, for, for creating a template to then incorporate some green and green into it. So, um, cool. and, yeah, so we'll have a little history lesson on, on where it all came from and how we arrived at the design that we have now. So, um, and of course, if people don't want to build the Adirondack or the uh, green and green style version, we're going to provide, you know, a much more simplistic version that doesn't have all the uh, green and green elements in it. Um, but we're having a blast designing it. It's a, a good good example of how in today's day and age, how things, you know, collaborative efforts like this can actually be done really well. We, we get on Skype, we do a little video chat back and forth. Uh, we do a little sketch up back and forth and then we meet for about 10 or 15 minutes a week and go through the details. And when it's all said and done, we're going to have this beautiful plan. It's uh, kind of a, a cool way to use the technology. Very nice. That is That's pretty awesome. sweet. 
So that's about it uh, for me. And uh, hopefully I'll be building regular projects and not, you know, I'm kind of getting the shop projects. Remember, I think last time I talked about it being like therapeutic me time. Right. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done with the me time. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just like build some actual projects now. So Mark is back to liking Mark. It's good. We can move forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully recovered. Uh, time to move on now. So, all right. Well, uh, that's that's about it for me. So, what are we? What are we on here? The magazine roundup. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Round it up. We need a sound effect with like cowboys and and horses Yee-haw! and things. Yeehaw! It's time to open them magazines. <laughs> there you go. And we have one, apparently. All right. right, I'll forget that one for the next episode. I'll have to listen to it. (laughs) I'm just going to cut it out and use it. Uh, All right, Shannon, you got one on here. Yeah, um, I've been playing around with spray finishing for, I don't know, I guess it's been about eight months now since I bought my Erlex. And basically anything and everything that comes around with spray finishing, I consume with with, with vigor. And gusto, yeah. And uh, what do you know? Uh, latest fine woodworking magazine showed up in my mailbox uh, a couple days ago, I think. And um, there is uh, an article in there on switch to spraying water-based finishes, which is also of particular interest to me because mostly what I've been spraying up till now has been uh, shellac, so alcohol-based. And I've been wanting to try something like Endurovar quite a bit. And the more I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking, you know, what it might be could a, kind of a good idea to have like a separate um, almost a separate gun mm-hmm. for the non-water-based and for the water-based stuff. And then, uh, so I, I ended up getting a second gun and I haven't sprayed any water-based stuff through it yet. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so I got this second gun that hasn't been used yet. So I really need to get my butt in gear and do that. But it was interesting. Um, I think, Mark, it might've been a guild session we had a while ago where mm-hmm. we had, um, oh shoot, we had like a finishing expert on and he was talking about water-based oh, finishes. Dresner. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. And he was just saying water-based finishes are kind of silly and, you know, it was it was quite comical. But it was well, I interesting. I think he was a little bit more opinionated than that, than if I remember right. It was, fair, it was, was, just was. It was fair to <laughs> say was. that he was not a fan. He was right. not a fan. Of water-based finishes. But this latest article in Fine Woodworking is um, by Terry Masachi. And I got – it was interesting because it was almost the same perspective. Um, he likes water-based finishes in this, but it was the same perspective of a guy who is a professional finisher – and has been for many, many years and is very kind of, quote, old school. Yeah. Um, he calls himself a lacquerhead, I think. Um, is it, so, isn't it a she? You know, I could be totally. Isn't Terry a woman? Oh, Shannon, you didn't just pull that off, did you? I did, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, just, awesome. I'm just double checking. I've never met him or her, but I'm, I always assume Terry. And you don't, you know, to, to get you off the hook, they never really show her in a way that you could tell one no, way or the don't. other, whether it's male or female. But. And in the about the contributor section, I don't see a section on him, her. Boy, we're going to get we're going to get nailed and, for this one. And we, oh, we'd well. like to thank you all for stopping in for our first private session of Wood Talk Online. <laughs> this will be a historical moment. Uh, we'll, we'll just drop the use of pronouns. I so guess, I Terry guess I could, talks uh... a lot about how Terry sprays. Anyway, the original point being, there's this this general tone of. I am a professional finisher. I've always used, you know, the the bad for you stuff, the highly volatile solvents and things like that. And here's a look at water-based finishing. And it wasn't like, oh, my God, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. They've completely remade them. They're absolutely wonderful. I mean, there was an element of reality in there saying, yay, it's no lacquer, you know, but um, here's what's happened. Here's how things have changed. And here's why they make a really uh, viable 
finish. Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting. It was a very honest article, in my opinion, which I think is is kind of different because you're used to seeing people like whole hog for something. Yeah, it's either all good or, yeah, they're, they're in favor of one thing or the other. Yeah, so it was a couple of really good points. Anybody who is is um, interested in spraying water-based finishes and wants to kind of know what to avoid and a couple of really good tips on there on on everything from uh, you know setting up your gun and straining the the finish going into it and um, how to treat it between coats. Um, it was very it was a good article. Cool. So kudos to find work. Sounds good. Um, well, let me see. I'm next. Okay, this one I know is by a guy. And it's uh, also in fine woodworking. Well, the bottom line is it's pretty clear that fine woodworking came in late, and that's uh, that's what we all are referring to now. Um, how to make th- what is it? How to make thick light tabletops? It's an article by Brian Sargent, and uh, you know this this is good stuff. This is you see a lot of times with um, just really unique designs and modern designs. You might see a really thick tabletop or a and like an impossible design in the grain patterns that's done with the veneers and you go geez how did they get that so thick and if it was really you know solid wood or even sandwiched plywood you'd be talking about a structure that would be incredibly heavy and difficult to support so Mm -hmm. this article goes into details on how you can use that honeycomb uh, resin impregnated material to sort of create what essentially would be a torsion box where the honeycomb is the support in the center and you basically put a solid wood frame around the outside and a couple layers of MDF or you could probably get away with ply and then you could veneer this whole thing but it acts like a solid piece you know and you've actually got substantial material on the outside edge that you could probably even you know profile to some extent if you wanted to um, but I thought it was great for for giving an inexpensive way to create a nice foundation for good thick tops that aren't super heavy and don't require a whole lot in the way of expensive materials. Uh, so certainly worth a read, and especially if you're getting into veneering and you want to have some flexibility with your designs, uh, certainly something that's uh, worth a read. Very nice. Yeah, good cool. stuff. Sweet. All right, and, and of course, as you mentioned, uh, mine also comes from the latest issue of Fine Woodworking, and this one's referred to, the, the article's called Case Closed, and it's how to use off-the-shelf hardware to close cabinet doors in style. Again, I, I think so many woodworkers, um, I, I know myself, we, we start out with a lot of stuff that we just run to the local home center and grab these things right off the shelf where possible, oftentimes because if anybody's like, if anybody's like me, you, you kind of forget to look ahead and maybe plan for a few things. <laughs> so uh, rather than going through my catalogs and maybe looking for very, very specific items, I suddenly go, oh, my God, oh, my God, the pay- client's coming right now and i got to get this stuff out there. What can I do to make it look nice uh, ahead of time? Well, not ahead of time, in the next 10 minutes. Um, and so we have, uh, I believe it's uh, four or, no, it's three or four guy uh, editors here, or contributing editors. Um, make sure, yeah, Steve Lotta, Garrett Hack, and Michael Fortune. Making sure I don't mm-hmm. want to hurt anybody's feelings there. Oh, too late um, for that. <laughs> Shannon <laughs> took care of that for us. <laughs> you take a uh, uh, like the first one starts out with Steve talking about using the double ball catch, um, which is, is a really you know basic system when it comes down to it. I mean, bas- you have a catch on the door that fits between um, a, a little latch that it grabs a hold of it. And the neat thing about this is sometimes trying to get two pieces to line up exactly where you want them. It sounds really simple, but it gets tricky a few times. I mean, really you get the the door lined up just the right way. And it always seems like when I bring the two of them together, I've made an adjustment somewhere along the line and it doesn't quite fit the way I want it to. Or 
my math skills apparently are a little bit off and what should be one eighth has now become um, like three sixteenths or <laughs> uh, four sixteenths or five, six, seven, something like that. Right. So I'm off a little bit. But anyway, Steve shows a really quick and easy way to do this using nothing more than double stick tape to help line up the, the mating pieces. Uh, you go on to Garrett where he's using just a regular bullet catch and more or less explains how to set it up the right way. And more importantly, this is like one of those that everything would be uh, finished. You'd have all, all the, the, the pieces ready to go. Uh, you, you have your finish on there, whatever it is. And the last thing you want to do is mar it, which would be something I would totally do. <laughs> and so he shows how to get that fit the right way so it, it, it lines up exactly where you want it. You have Michael Fortune showing a rare earth magnet uh, system. In fact, I, I believe he shows how he shop builds this particular closing system. So it gives you more options because you can build something that would go along with the existing design that you have. And it, it's really neat because rare earth magnets, I think, are fantastic that you don't have a lot of working parts. Basically, you have the metal that gets attracted to the magnet and they come together and you're happy schmappy. So that one's pretty nice. And then the last one, again, is Michael Fortune. And he's using uh, spring-loaded magnetic catches, which... I don't know. That, those are ones that I always seem to be, that's my go-to ones. And they can be the ugliest things in the world when they're just kind of hanging out there. I was going to say, that's, I like the concept. I just don't like the way they look. I, I, right. I never use them because of that reason. Right. But the neat thing in this article is he shows a, neat, a really different way to actually hide them. So you see really only like the... Uh, the magnets themselves, you don't see the whole body because they are, they're, they're hideous. They're, they're just the most ugly things in the world. Yeah, this is great, man. That's, a, that's ingenious just to kind of get rid of all that plastic body and just focus on the, the action that you really need from it. That's great. Exactly, yeah. It, it's hidden out there. And when you open it, you never see it. It's, it all flows nicely. And more importantly, you could put it in a location where, um, and this has happened to me, again, maybe poor design. I don't know. There seems to be a running theme with a lot of my projects <laughs> like that. But I end up knocking those uh, it, it, out of the way a little bit. So then suddenly I only have one latch catching and it never seems to be the latch that I want. So, (laughs) but you know, I, I I think this is a really neat article again. um, Even if you're somebody has a little bit of experience, just kind of going back in and seeing these ideas, either might help speed up your work a little bit or give you in the case of Michael fortune, the one that he has there, just another option for using a really simplistic hardware. Totally. Uh, You know, I got to say that is one of the hardest things that I have to sort of have a personal battle with myself on every project is when it's done and everything is like complete, the woodworking is done. Sometimes it's really difficult to slow down. And even though the project is finished and everything is, you know, to the average onlooker is complete, you still need to do something involving hardware, a door catch, uh, you know, something like that. And it's the hardest time to have patience in the product project. I don't know if you guys are, are like that too, but I fight myself constantly. I noticed that on, on a couple of the builds, I think, uh, um, was it the uh, uh, the dresser that you built? Mm-hmm. There seemed to be an ongoing battle where you looked like you were in so much pain <laughs> and anxiety <laughs> to find the right poles for it. And yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know. I, it's like with uh, uh, greeting cards for me. I just go in and go, yeah, this one works. And I can walk <laughs> away and I'm happy with it. So, See, to me, I, I can't. Like, to me, the, the handles on something make such a bold statement. Or it, let's say it can make a very bold statement and can completely transform a piece. And that's why I'm always nervous about it it's like you know it's like getting a tattoo you know you got to really think about it before you make this thing permanent 
Um, right. But I find that that's like the hardest part of the project to be patient on is after the finish is applied, everything is done. And now you've got to get this thing, you know, precisely located in the right location. So these, you know, articles like this, I, I like it because it actually gives you a couple ideas uh, that might be worth putting that little extra effort in there to give you that one last piece to, to finish before the project is done. Right. You know, and- it's interesting because I think I've actually gone the opposite direction where I've found like a cool piece of hardware and I built the piece around it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, I've got, there'll be weird places. I've gone on vacation or whatever. And you wander into an antique store and you see this like really cool porcelain or, you know, some different material mm-hmm. hardware and I'll, I'll pick it up and it stays in like a drawer in my shop for years. And then finally I make a piece entirely based around that, um, that piece of hardware. Right. Right. It- it's like that that faucet commercial where the couple's walking through this architect's office and he's showing them all these amazing buildings he's done and he sits down and he goes, "What can I build for you?" And the the, the wife pulls out the faucet, sets it down, and goes, "A house around this." And he just sits there and <laughs> stares at it. As soon as you mentioned that, was the first thing that popped in my head. I, I never have that problem. In fact, with the walnut buffet that I just finished up, the most anxious moment I had was when the client said, well, what hardware would you recommend? And there was that voice <laughs> in my head that said, why would I recommend anything? I, uh, what are you talking about? This is your piece. Why are you asking me? You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> would you recommend brushed nickel? Um, no. I why threw, not? I don't know. <laughs> well, I threw that on my mom because I, I did uh, two cabinets for this last build and I picked out the hardware for, for the one that I'm keeping and I'm giving her the other one. And normally I, I like to see a project top to bottom, you know, make every decision having to do with it. And on this one, I just kind of like, I, I mentally let go of it. And I was like, all right, well, there's no hardware. So here, here's the great news. You can go on the internet and pick your own hardware <laughs> and, and I'll install it for you. <laughs> so, so, you know, that actually backfired on me uh, long before I ever started the show, long before any of this was going on. And I was, uh, I built some pieces for my mom and it was a sewing table and then this, this chest that went along with it. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, let me see, Aiden is now nine. So that was probably before he was born. And she still to this day cannot find knobs that she wants for it. Wow. So she, you can see where there's these like fingernail marks from her trying to pry open <laughs> some of the drawers. And it, it, I, I think that one, maybe I will finally find something that'll work. I, I'm thinking porcelain knobs with duckies on the end of it or something. <laughs> and in like a hundred years from now on antique roadshow, there'll be some guy saying, yeah, it looks like maybe somebody was chained and they couldn't open the door and these <laughs> fingernails. And, you know, it's going to be some like horrible story of this person that, couldn't get the drawer open and nice. scratch it open. It'll be my signature on the back, and they'll go, "Oh, this explains everything." <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, FYI, uh, on Terry Masachi's website, Terry is one of only two women featured on the cover of Fine Woodworking magazine. Okay, then that answers that, and we apologize for um, for Shannon. <laughs> Finally, it's not apologizing for Matt. Thank you. Well, you know what's interesting is <laughs> while this has been going on, I've been like flipping through the magazine trying to find any reference. I wonder if the editors of Fine Woodworking know because it seems like they like <laughs> very subtly avoided. It. I mean, there was there was no author bio, and the little byline at the bottom says nothing yeah. along that line. And and you're right, the the photos they there's like a photo of like you know 
the back of her or something like that. It's just very well in true. I apologize, Terry in true fine woodworking, (laughs) you know, style and fashion is to, you know, I don't want to say dilute to run everything through the fine woodworking filter. So it really doesn't matter who wrote the article because you can't exactly tell there's no personality. It's fine woodworking. Uh, and the person, you know, who actually wrote the article is an editor, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's like (laughs) everything is filtered through and, and there's not much Terry left when it's all said and done. At least and then again, it is spelled with an I. I probably should have picked up on that. You you should have. Anyway, yeah. um, let's move on to around the web. And Shannon, you got a number of things here. If you want to knock those out real quick, I dominated this section. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did, um, man. <clears throat> well, this is this is interesting. Um, I think I emailed you, Mark, as soon as I saw this. But mm-hmm. uh, Chris Pye, the um, world famous woodcarver, has a membership site now. It's called Woodcarving Ooh. Workshops. And, you know, I, I looked around at it. It's extraordinarily well done. Kudos to his web design firm because it's a very beautiful site. Um, very high production value on the videos that I could see. I did watch um, the sample lesson and the audio was a little bit dicey there. But, you know, frankly, you could understand everything he was saying. It just sounded like he was maybe a little too close to the uh, to the lapel mic. How did the video how did the video turn out? Because I know the welcome video, like you said, is insanely good quality, but I often wonder sometimes they pay a lot for that welcome video, but then every right. every other video is this is how it's really going to be. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, the one thing I'll say, and and you know, obviously Mark, you and I are a little bit biased as we run subscription sites ourselves, but <sighs> the the video that I saw, and and I'll also preface this and say I can actually see myself becoming a member of this when I have some free time to uh, do some more carving. Mm-hmm. Um, when I find that free time, the um, the videos are very short. Um, they have like a project, and it'll be broken into like fourteen different videos that are anywhere from two to five minutes long. So my big concern is h- how much content, how much actual material can be covered in a short amount of time. At the same time, though, if they're really micro-focused on one particular task, which carving is, you know, a lot of very small little tasks, um, it could be very successful. I mean, Mm -hmm. Chris has been teaching wood carving for a long time, um, so he knows what he's talking about, which I think is what's truly exciting about this because, you know, not that... Well, Mark's more of a somebody than I am, but up until now, you know, the people that have ventured into this have really been kind of woodworking nobodies. Right. Um, and now we've got a real, you know, industry hardened expert um, that has taken on this web mantle, which I think is really cool. I think it's a sign of things to come. So, I, I do want I do want to clarify that I, I am absolutely a nobody. So oh, we, oh we're okay. talking about you. Yeah, <laughs> let's, I can let's make no up. mistake about that. <laughs> well, I can totally vouch for that, that he is nobody. Well, yes. what's <laughs> what's interesting about this is if you're going to do this type of thing and what makes this um, different. And I think I think you and I both have the same feeling where if we're going to charge people money uh, and do something that is, you know, worth charging for and hopefully is a good value for our our uh, viewers it's going to be long format and that's yeah. what makes it different because when you're doing this stuff on the free side of things and you're doing a free podcast, that's really the home for the short form things to either market something or push, you know, push a technique or even try to get new, you know, subscribers to uh, whatever the paid version of something is. So it is surprising to me that this is coming out of the gate paid and it's really in what I would consider your standard free podcasting format where it's it's a quick hit two or three minute four minute video 
and not so much the in-depth lesson that at least I think you and I are of the same mindset that most people are looking for when they're going to pull their credit card out to pay for some content online. So it'll be interesting to see how well it does. But at the same time, with a name like Chris Pye behind it. And and again, you know, this could just be me, but I mean, I have several of Chris's books. Mm-hmm. He is a world-renowned woodcarver. So, you know, I, I suppose if somebody, I mean, if somebody like David Marks were to do this, people would pull out their wallet no matter what he put out there, you know? Yeah. Um, that's why people paid what they paid for Sam Maloof's rocking chairs. There is a bit of a branding that goes on it. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I wish Chris the best of luck. Um, it it It's exciting. It's good to see that somebody is tackling... The wood carving thing. Sure, yeah. There's you're not, not that much out see there. It on my show, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Carrie. Not, that's not what, done well anyway. Which put that way. <laughs> that's what Carrie is around for, right? To to right, cover the exactly. carving. <laughs> so then, moving on. In the last episode, I mentioned something about how um, the early reports on the anarchist tool chest by Christopher Schwartz were basically urging people not to use hanging tool cabinets, and I was bitter about that since I'm building hanging tool cabinet. The um, <laughs> Chris put out a blog post on Lost Art Press. Actually, I don't know when it came out. I just saw it for the first time today. But um, it's interesting because it sounds like this book, as he put it, there's a a one-page PDF that you can download that basically if you want to build a tool chest, everything you need to know is on that one page. Um, If you're not interested, and you probably won't be really interested in the book because everything you need to know is on that one page. Mm. The rest of the book is kind of, you know, philosophical, um, esoterica basically so uh it should be interesting it sounds like chris had an opportunity to kind of wax poetic a little in this entire book which i don't know kind of prompts me to want to buy it and read it a little bit more frankly it's one of the things i enjoyed about the workbenches book is all the kind of the historical aspect of it it was really kind of fascinating so anyway if you're interested in building a tool chest and want kind of an idea of what the anarchist tool chest is about head over to lost art press and you can download that little pdf it's pretty cool. Sweet. Looks good. You know, it was kind of funny because uh, I, I saw, uh, I think it was a blog post just before coming on tonight's episode. And uh, apparently uh, Chris was just kind of throwing something out there. It was more or less kind of a, I won't say a, a, a gotcha or anything, but he was kind of uh, talking about how his, when the workbench uh, book came out, there was an author, or uh, excuse me, an editor from another magazine, which he didn't name names, uh, but essentially the other editor was kind of like, you know, oh, well, hey, congratulations on, you know, you know, basically doing the one thing that you're now going to disappear for forever, <laughs> kind of alluding huh. that, you know, um, a, a magazine journalist can only have one book and then you pretty much disappear into obscurity. So I think this is kind of like one of those, um, yeah, uh, Maybe Chris is kind of, uh, uh, you know, get, getting back at you kind of a thing. It's, I don't know, maybe I read it a little bit too much, but uh, I thought that was pretty funny because he was talking about how, like, well, we'll see. <laughs> well, I think of all people, to, to say that to Chris is just sort of silly. I mean, the man is as right. prolific as anyone I've ever seen, you know, so he's certainly got numerous books already out there and probably a whole lot more to come <laughs> as right. he goes through his journey. So, well, you know, in, in the, in the words of Dave Knopps, you know, he is the Oprah of woodworking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's not forget that. I miss modern woodshop. <laughs> Dave, if you're listening, consider rejoining the podcasting world. Yeah, someone asked what? me about his show the other day. I said, yeah, he's, I guess he's just, you know, family life doing his thing. 
Yeah. And he's still top of the charts on iTunes. So, Dave, just throw us a bone once in a while. Just give a little five minutes up there. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then the last thing I have, it's, it's kind of bittersweet, but uh, Andrew Lunn of Eccentric Toolworks fame is leaving the sawmaking market. Um, he's the guy that produces um, – Chris Rashores has one of his saws. I think he calls it the one saw that he won't let anyone else touch. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, Andrew's stuff is truly creme de la creme, the finest saws on the market. And um, I had actually contacted Andrew a while back about, you know, what was his waiting list like. I was in the market for a dovetail saw. I didn't really need a dovetail saw. I needed a very specialized saw for um, cutting thinner parts. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, it might be fun to kind of splurge because I knew that Andrew's waiting list is like eight or nine months long. And it's like, okay, well, I can set aside, you know, 100 bucks a month and buy this because <laughs> his saws are like 400 bucks. And, you know, at the time he told me, I think it was like over a year waiting list. And he said, you know, no money down, but I'll put your name on a list. And when it comes around again, you can say, I want the saw or I don't want the saw. No skin off my nose. I'll just, you know, move you out and move on to the next person on the list. I was like, okay, well, I got an email from him as a, as a quote customer, I guess, saying that he is not going to make saws anymore. And it was, um, it was a very upbeat message saying, you know, I, I kind of have just lost my, my steam. I think he put it, or his, just his passion for making saws, which I guess he just got burnt out a little bit. I mean, after being Schwarzed, uh, I think he's been working <laughs> his butt off making these saws, which is such a cool thing to say considering, I mean, this is a boutique saw he's making and he can't keep up with the orders, which is pretty dang cool. I'll talk about a hand tool renaissance. Yeah. Right. So he, I, I hasn't really made any, any um, statements about what he's going to do. He says he won't be disappearing. He'll be doing something else. Um, Chris posted a blog post about it. Um, and I think, you know, Chris is a good friend of his, so he obviously knows more about it than I do, but seemed to intimate that there might be some tool making coming out in the future. But I think it's something we need to pay attention to. Right. But, you know, I hate, I would hate to think, and I hope that it's not a matter of like recession driving him out of business. I don't think it was that at all. Um, now just read, a business. I'm reading a blog post now. It definitely seems related to, you know, in order to make these things as well as I do, I need to have a passion for it. And I'm just losing, yeah. like you said, he's losing steam. He just can't continue to put this kind of, uh, you know, work into every single saw that he makes. He's just uh, burning a candle at both ends. It sounds. Yeah. Right. You know, and one thing I, I saw in there, I, I think it was in the article that, that Chris had posted up there, something about um, Ed, Ed pa Palak. Oh, man. Ed, I'm uh -huh. sorry. I totally messed up here. But the owner of Medallion, Medallion Tool Works. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. say that. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, I, I've had a chance to talk with Ed several times at Woodworking in America. And a really great guy. You know, I have a few of those moments where you just sit there and, yeah, hi, how's it going? Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, but he's a really <laughs> nice guy and makes some beautiful tools. And so I think um, I know that Andrew had talked about, you know, pushing uh, as much work towards Ed as possible and taking some of his clients. And I, I can tell you from the, the medallion tool work saws that I, I had a chance to just hold. And uh, I think Ed let me play with one of them, if I remember right. They're amazing saws. So definitely nobody's going to be losing out one bit, you know, you know, if they choose to follow through on uh, Andrew's recommendation to go with Ed. But one thing I do want to say is I um I had a chance to to, to use one of uh, Andrew's saws. Ron Brees actually had bought one, and it was so funny because it was like he was so giddy about it. I mean, he was just like, <laughs> "Look at this!" He was so excited. I'm like, ah, I got all wrapped up in it, 
and it was insane how smooth of a cut it was. It was it was literally a hot knife through butter, hmm. and that was on you know some some of the hardwood that that Ron would typically have on his bench, like you know like that flame birch and some god awful maple from who knows where that probably would eat most saws up, and Andrew's just cut right through it. So yeah, that's definitely. It's going to be interesting with them out, out of the market, but definitely. Well, you know, over. it's not like there are no alternatives. I mean, I, right. of course, when I contacted Andrew, uh, Mark Carell at Bad Axe Tool Works wasn't making a dovetail saw yet. Now he's got like uh, three different models of dovetail saws. Right. You and, know, what's funny is watching him do stuff on Facebook and <laughs> announcing them as yeah. they're coming off. <laughs> That's great. I think well, it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing, though, if you think about it, that we're in a time where, you know, hand tools are really enjoying enough of a renaissance that numerous individuals can become, you know, well-known and actually, you know, do very well in the tool-making industry at a time when, you know, who's, what other industry are people actually making tools by hand? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything is popped out of a factory and trying to make it as cheap as possible. And you could see why, you could see this going in this direction in, in the area of woodworking, but I'm just amazed that what these guys are doing is even viable. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, enough. This guy's getting enough business that he can't keep up with it. You know that's crazy. Yeah, and as I understand it correctly, with Bad Axe, um, Mark's wife is actually—I think she's quitting her job in order to handle like the back office side of things because Bad Axe has gotten so busy now that essentially he's taking on another employee. Granted, it's his wife, but um, it, you know, <laughs> gosh, that'd be great. I'd love it if my wife could quit her job and handle the the marketing and the business side of the hand tool school. That'd be sweet. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> I could just go in the shop and film. But I think. I had this conversation. Obviously, I'm a Bad Axe Tool Works fan. Um, he's also a sponsor of the Hand Tool School. But, um, so I'm a little biased. But I had a conversation with Mark about this. And not only are there multiple options in Hand Tools now, but there's enough options that now it's become about bling. You know, I mean, right. oh, totally. Andrew's yeah. saws are, are awesome and they cut really well. But you know what? Mark's saws are awesome. They cut really well. Lee Nielsen's saws cut really well. Lee Valley saws cut really well. It's about the bling at this point. So you then know? is this, I mean, isn't this, in a, in a way, doesn't this kind of fly in the face of what most Neanderthal woodworkers have held <laughs> on their shoulder as the reason why we do this is getting back to the core of woodworking. And now here we are. Have you know hand tool guys just as bad as every festool crazy nut yeah. job out there? You know who prides themselves in their their CNC machine and their wide belt sanders. It's all yeah. the same thing, and and you're I mean, just as Ron guilty Breeze as the rest of us. Stainless steel now, you know. I mean, everybody's it's awesome. We're gonna well, have titanium funny. planes pretty soon. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny because this is almost like, um, you know, how it seems like like when Jesse James of like, you know, what, well, West Coast Choppers or whatever first came online, people are like, who wants like a custom chopper or something? You know, you just like go pick up something off the, you know, you know, the, the local bike shop or something. But then suddenly like custom bikes became the, the huge, huge thing. I mean, there's TV shows dedicated to them. It's all over the place. Yeah. Tools are becoming like that. I mean, it's kind of funny because another thought I had. Totally going in another tangent. Man, I haven't done tangents in a while. Oh, I'm like getting into them all the time. <laughs> anyway, so it seems like all the the eccentric saws now are going to become along the lines of uh, remember when independent uh, independent saws like right. uh, was consumed by Lee Nielsen. But yet, when you see an original independent saw, there's almost like that gravitation to you want to grab it and look at it. Like, let me see it. Oh my God, you're right. This is an original one, you know, and I bet you that's the way that the eccentric saws are going to be is these, these last few that have come off, you know, that, that he'll be finishing up or even the ones that are out there right now. That's going to be like the conversation piece. <laughs> Sounds much. it. Very cool. 
All right, well, I've got a little thing here. This is nothing in particular, like nothing happened. I just think um, people should know about this website. It's called thisiscarpentry.com. It's run by Gary Katz, and if you're not familiar with Gary, he is like, he's basically like the interior carpentry sort of guru. So I know a lot of us do other things than just building furniture and turning and uh, things along those lines. We actually do house projects and we, you know, put up molding and and casing around doors and whatnot. Uh, So this is a site that's geared more toward that audience. And it's really well done. It's like a uh, essentially an online magazine for the most part with videos and great photographs, lots of different topics. And you just go to the homepage and scroll down and you'll see he covers quite a few things. And he even does, you know, it's woodworking to an extent. So there's, um, I think they have a, a tall jig for the table saw on there for cutting raised panels. And they go through a bunch of different topics. So it's definitely a worthy read. And especially if you're doing a lot of home projects and more general carpentry, it might be something you want to take a look at. So it's thisiscarpentry.com. Very cool. And the one I have up here is, and I'm going to let my nerd fly out again because I mentioned this last night. Uh, the new Doctor Who is starting up uh, very soon as we're after we post this. And one thing that got me to thinking about that, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, his uh, flying time machine is called the TARDIS. And it's bigger on the inside. And so is the studly tool chest. And <laughs> one thing that caught me is uh, my friend uh, Mitch Robertson. I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with him from Fernitude. Oh, yeah. um, they got a link in here. He has his most recent post uh, went up about, I think it was a few days ago. I think it was back on April 11th, if I, if I remember correctly. Anyways, he found a video with uh, Mr. Norm Abram doing a video tour of the studly tool chest. Apparently, you have to be Norm in order to be allowed to actually open it, maybe take a look at it. And this just happened to catch my eye because obviously, if you've seen pictures of uh, the Slowly the Tool Chest, it is obviously larger on the inside compared, considering how much stuff you could put inside this thing. And I don't know, that was my little nerd tangent that That's I had. That's a good one. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a woodworking clown car, you know? The, it is. <laughs> the tools just keep coming out and it's impossible for them to actually fit in there. That's one of my favorite episodes in the New Yankee Workshop. I just, I used to watch that one. I saved it on my TiVo and watched it all the time. Oh, there you go. Well, in that case, you can have a, a bigger version of the video than uh, uh, Mitch has up on there. But if you don't have access to Mark's TiVo, check this one out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> check it out soon because it is a DIY video and you never know how long something like that is going to stay on YouTube right, because it's probably not supposed to be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys remember where that is now? I mean, I have to watch the video again, but where is the Studley Tool Chest? Oh, that museum? I don't know. Is it a museum or a private collection? Um, I thought it was in a museum, but yeah, I thought it was in a museum also. Let's see if I we, hope so. But don't I'm quote me because I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> it's what? It. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing though. If you've never seen it, you got to definitely got to take a look. It's cool. All right, now the last thing we'll talk about when, before we wrap this one up is uh, it's coming from an email that we received from Laird, and I thought this was very thought invoking. He emailed me directly, but I thought this was better for us to kind of discuss. This is actually. Now that I think about it, we were supposed to talk about tax stuff too. So let's let's hit this first, and then we'll quickly talk about uh, some of the tax stuff. Which I don't uh, know. It's so taxing. It is taxing. I don't really know how much we're going to have to say about it, but anyway. All right. So Laird says, "I've been reading a lot of articles on the web, et cetera, that talk about how difficult it is as a to be a professional furniture maker and designer. This made me a little depressed, being a fairly new hobbyist who, like so many others, would like to be able to make a living at this someday." Looking at the possible bottlenecks of society, scarcity of oil and other natural resources, and the growth of environmental awareness, albeit slowly, it made me wonder if we might be on the cusp of a change from mass-produced disposable items to one of more slightly more sustainable consumption. 
I consider myself a realist, so I'm certainly not looking at this through rose-colored glasses, but I just don't see how it's possible to continue to consume at the levels we do as the population increases. That makes me wonder if the future, what the future might hold, uh, if it holds a renaissance for craftspeople or at least a small increase in interest. I was curious about your thoughts on the matter. I live in Minnesota, and at least anecdotally, there seems to be a burgeoning move. Is that how you pronounce that word, burgeoning? That's how I would pronounce it. That is correct. This <laughs> is not a word I would use, but it's a good one. Uh, growing. There yes. is a growing movement. This vocabulary lesson brought to you by Wood Talk Online. Uh, movement towards handcrafted things. Not in the majority of the population, obviously, but it is at least perceptible. Certainly since I became interested in woodworking anyway. Does there appear to be any increased interest in Arizona or the Southwest where, that you have noticed? Judging by the popularity of your site and others, I am pretty sure that this is true of other woodworkers, but I'm referring to the general public. So, good question. I don't even know that we necessarily have a solid answer for something right. like this. Um, I guess the question would be, do you guys notice in your areas that there is more viability for people making handcrafted items? Are you seeing, you know, more people advertising that type of thing is, or is it something you haven't even really picked up on, on a local level? You know, it's tough. Um, and I think he alludes to it here is at least since he became involved in woodworking, he's seeing it more. It's one of those things where when you start paying attention to something, you see it more. Like when you buy so, a, a certain car and now everybody seems to drive one. Right. Now everybody drives yeah. it in the same color. Yeah. And I, I would say, yes, I do see that there's, there is a movement towards this more people concerned on not only, you know, less disposable, but just finer made things. But at the same time, I'm really in tune to that market now too. So I, I, you know, I don't know. It could have always been there in my neighborhood. Certainly it, it's always been in there because you know Philadelphia and Boston and Baltimore and and Richmond they're all major woodworking centers in the colonial period so it's always been an, an area for that um I would love to say yes and I, I think so but our perspectives like you're saying are heavily skewed so it's almost yeah. impossible for us to say what the general you know, public Walmart is, is still the world's largest retailer so right. somebody's buying junk a lot of and, somebody's are buying junk yeah yeah yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. I, I really, really want to say yes. And I, again, it's because my perspective is so skewed by the, the, the little world that I have myself go into. I mean, the majority of the websites I visit are all craftsperson oriented in some way or another. Uh, conversations that I have, imagine this, I kind of direct them towards what I want to talk about. And so uh, <laughs> that's how we kind of, you know, when I when I talk with other individuals, you know things kind of go in that direction. But I, I'm, I'm going to take a stab at this because a lot of our friends, my wife, kind of needles me once in a while to pull back on the podcast conversation. Apparently, it's not very cool sometimes. Uh, I can't imagine <laughs> that. But the, the individuals I do talk with, when I mention you know that I am a woodworker um, and I do custom pieces, uh, you know, for for clients, paying clients preferably, um, there's almost <laughs> there, there's that ignorance, almost kind of like well. Again, a lot of it goes to the pricing, but it's either Ikea or something like like in, around us. It's like an art van, which is this big furniture thing. Uh, so the notion of custom pieces and people building custom pieces is so foreign. And it's typically the idea is it's, it's for those people way over there that I never have a conversation with is the, what I get from a lot of the people that I have talked with where I happen to throw out that I'm a, I'm a custom woodworker. Don't tell my wife. I told you that. 
Well, and that's that's kind of what I get. Yeah, and I and I've seen a lot of along the lines of what you're saying, where a lot of folks um, they they find out that you do this stuff, and then they have an idea for something they want you to build, but then when they find out it's actually going to cost more than what right. they could get with an equivalent thing in a furniture store, all of a sudden it's like, wait, I don't understand. You know, they they think that as opposed to you being a custom craftsman, excuse me, you are doing it yourself, you know? Right. So it's sort of like the DIY version. And as we know, DIY is, you know, in most cases, the reason we do it is because it's cheaper. So they have it in their head that if they're going to someone who's doing it themselves in their garage shop, that it must be cheaper than what I could buy at, you know, any retailer uh, that's out there. So, uh, you know, I, I still, I don't know that I've noticed a massive improvement and I, I admittedly am a little bit out of touch with the the local you know furniture purchasing scene since I don't really market to that group of people anymore mm-hmm. um but like I, I think we're just far too skewed to be able to say what the general populace is doing the real question is how many of us who start off as hobbyists and then turn pro how many are having success you know so folks who are relatively new that would be where we would find our answer talk to people like uh, like Boas. I don't know how long he's been doing it on a professional level, but I know he is now. And I don't think that that's his only job, but I think he is doing a significant amount of work for clients. Uh, right. Kaleo, you know, for people who are friends of ours, you know, Adam, you know, people like who are into the business side of this. I wonder if they're seeing more customers or if it's becoming easier to to get business from people now. This might be a great conversation to head on over to Wood Chat, which is not happening tonight. No, so, it's um, tomorrow. <laughs> is it? Is it every Wednesday? Is it Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Yeah, it's usually Wednesday, on Wednesdays. So yeah, Wednesday def- at nine p.m. Eastern time. Good call, Matt. That's a good one. If you have questions about that, and I think you you can find uh, folks like Kaleo and uh, and Adam and a bunch of actually that Wood Chat is mostly surrounding folks who are into this for money. You know, doing this as pros. So right. those would be the people to ask because I don't really. I don't really know for sure, but let's let's hope so because you, I think he's absolutely right. The the sort of consumerism and this constant consumption that we have, you know, the problem is we've got an, a really tough economy right now. And if someone needs a new coffee table and they can get one for a hundred bucks at Walmart, that will work. Or they spend you know a thousand bucks at uh, you know Matt's Woodworking uh, Depot. It's like, it's it's kind of an easy choice, you know, it's a no brainer. They're going to go to Walmart and they're going to pick up this, you know, thing that's going to work for them. Right. And then I'm going to drive past their house and taunt them. I mean, it's just an entirely different market. It is. People that buy custom furniture are people that don't think about how much it costs, frankly. They're people who Um, have money and and aren't They're not us. They're people who (laughs) aren't being... They're not us or the people we hang out with, for that matter. People who aren't being hurt by the current economy, apparently. I mean, it's, it's just not a cheap thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of money and the economy, it is uh, nearing April fifteenth, which is not only my birthday. The second most important thing that happens that day is that it's uh, tax day. So I just went to get my taxes done, and it hurt. But I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, not really to give advice because I don't think any of us are truly in a position or even want to be liable for for giving advice <laughs> on stuff like this, but. <laughs> Please enter legal disclaimer now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but to talk a little bit about what we do in terms of taxes and and sort of deducting and if we make a profit and I don't think anyone who you know in terms of the government is going to be listening. So if we don't aren't doing things properly, I don't know that it's that big of a deal. But I thought it would be neat to to look at our individual situations and uh, talk about how we handle things like um, you know purchasing materials. 
you know, do do you make enough money with your woodworking to justify um, treating it as a income, you know, and actually logging your expenses and things like that? Do you do you even have a business? So let's let's start there, um, Matt. I don't. I I probably already know the answer to this question. I don't think you have a business uh, per se that that's involving your woodworking. Correct. Right. No, mine is still pretty much considered hobby income. And that's one thing that I think I never really paid close attention to that until um, my wife's business got to the point where uh, I think it was a legal liability for me trying to do anything with the taxes like I had up till that point. So Mm -hmm. we went to an accountant and that was actually one of my first questions because that first year I had done several builds for people and I, I, I definitely made enough money to um to afford some some nice pieces of equipment you know could do a few things take a few classes and uh, if i hadn't done those projects i probably wouldn't have purchased those things and taken those classes uh and so that was one of my first questions to them is is there a point where as a hobbyist you need to maybe look at you know paying income tax on on this income and it was obvious the amount that i did make was still below that but at the same time, though, I think once you start making several thousand dollars, maybe on a regular basis as a quote unquote hobbyist, um, you might want to take that into consideration and really keep close account of the the income coming in from that. Because you you, you may not have a business in the, in, in the sense that you have, you know, um, uh, uh, like, like an LLC or anything like that. But if you're suddenly having this this cash flow coming in um amazingly the, the tax people will look at that and go huh <laughs> you can start to get into hot water i think it, yeah. it, it doesn't really take that much money for you to get to the point that you really do need to start recognizing that income right. and not sweeping it under the rug right absolutely yeah so that was that was a big eye opener but luckily that year it, it definitely i was i was below the threshold that our accountant felt that i need to worry about it and i i think i've managed to come below that which is not what I want to do, but apparently I am doing that. I was going to say, it's, it's good and bad at the same time. It's like simpler, but you, you Congratulations, you, you made a penny more than last year. <laughs> yes! Now give it to us. Right. So, Shannon, how about, how about your situation? Uh, yes, I am. Um, uh, Rogers Fine Woodworking is, the, is an actual um, S-Corp. And um, the Hand Tool School and the Renaissance Woodworker all roll under that. Um, okay. the, you know, the, in the last year, I didn't, well, that's not true. I made one commission um, for a client. Previous years, I I was doing, you know, more than that. And that's why I started Rogers Fine Woodworking was for that basis. Right. It quickly became almost like you did, Mark, kind of became something else. And it wasn't, I was making some income from things like AdSense and stuff like that, but it was more of a tax write-off than anything else. Sure, yeah. Well, um, no, it was, was a little gonna... bit of a shelter, and I was able to write off things like hosting fees, and and I ended up keeping track of equipment expenses, material expenses, and using that all as a business write-off. Um, and that was that worked out okay. I mean, it there's only so much you can write off when you're not making that much money, um, right? You know, and then you start getting into things like technically it was a loss because I spent this much and only made this much. And, <laughs> and, um, Matt, similar to like what you just said, I just consulted with my accountant and he's like, well, this year we can just pretend that didn't exist because there just wasn't <laughs> anything enough to report. Um, starting in October of last year, when I officially launched the hand tool school, it became a whole different game. And, um, you know, now I, there will be a profit turned this, this, uh, well, yeah, uh, for 2010, 
because obviously the majority of my enrollments in the school happened in the last three months of the year. Right. Um, even though I've got substantial more enrollments so far this year, uh, I'm not worried about that yet. So um, we're going to see. I actually have my appointment with the accountant um, tomorrow. Nice. Well, congratulations and congratulations. And good luck with that. <laughs> well, you know, and it's really interesting now because now I, I work W-2 for a lumber company. And, um, you know, the J. Gibson McElvain Lumber Company sponsored, is sponsoring the final build for the hand tool school. In other words, I got my wood from them and mm-hmm. I didn't pay anything for it. Um, and I'll be you know, promoting them and all that stuff through that. And granted, I work for them at the same time. But now I might be in the situation where I, I won't be buying material anymore. Uh, so I, I lose that write-off. So we'll see what happens. I right. don't know. So then basically, I mean, for, for folks who are getting into this and they are doing a little bit of selling on the side, um, you know, there is going to be a point where it will be, although it's a little bit more paperwork, it's probably worth it because now you can start to count your purchases as deductions. Right. Yeah. You know, so trips that, to woodworking in America, classes, all of that stuff is now deductible. Yeah, and I mean, if you start to actually, and this is again not giving business advice, but just saying what what's worked for us, you know, you get to a point where if you do have a business, and you could start to actually deduct part of your electricity, you know, based on how much the business is potentially using. I right. can't. You cannot do that. No, it's the hand tool school. I'm not allowed to. Oh, that's right. You don't use electricity. <laughs> you got somebody on a little. You got a little Gilligan on a bike just to keep just to keep the light bulb going. Just go out, turn on the garden hose, and have your little wheel alongside of it. <laughs> that's right. He's got a big old wheelhouse. Uh, we might we might get to an INS issue with the guy powering the bike. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you know, I'm actually very similar to what to what you are, Shannon. I've got an S corp, and it's you know because I started as a furniture. Uh, business and it just transitioned into the Wood Whisperer. It's still, uh, we we changed the name a while back from officially from uh, Mark's Wood Creations, which was a LLC, to uh, the Wood Whisperer as a corporation. So, um, pretty much anything woodworking related, anything that I could you know even come close to saying is woodworking related, winds up being paid for by the company. And you know, it's a viable business, so it's at the point where that's a much more financially smart, safe, and uh, proper way for me to to handle all my stuff. But um, right. I'd be interested to hear some feedback from folks who are more more in Matt's situation where you have, you know, you've got a day job and you do a few jobs here and there. And it just kind of depends on what number you hit at the end of the year uh, to, to see how your tax person, uh, what they recommend you do. And, and where is that threshold where it right. actually starts to make sense to to call this a business or to start? And I want to say a sole proprietorship because I know that's a, a lot of people recommend against that. But uh, the point where you should really start to recognize this as a money-making venture. Right. right. You know, and, and there's one thing that comes up, and, I, and I've done this in the past, uh, d- depending on who the person is. Uh, but there's that whole trade issue. You know, are you trading services for yeah. this and for that? And that one um, – and my my accountant again has said, you know, don't worry about it. You're not at a point where you really need to be concerned about it. And then I started thinking, yeah, um, no, where did you get your degree from? And uh, what's the what, what's the uh, statutes of limitations on these? Just in case, uh, you know, I just want to make I just want to cover myself just in case because there there have been a few projects that I have done that have been in a trade situation. So that's one of those, I think it comes to a dollar value. I know they, they, I, again, I haven't hit a point where I've needed to be concerned about it, but if you did it on a regular enough basis, 
uh, that could be something else you might want to think about. Sure. I think the key is get an accountant. Well, yeah. well definitely. Yeah. They're a licensed accountant, and basically if something goes wrong, they're liable and you're not. So. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is everybody's got different regulations, you know, state and local, and even even just uh, recognizing that you operate a business out of your home can be really problematic depending on where yeah. you live. Um, so, yeah, just and sometimes it is better left alone. You know. Right, and, you, know, you know, since starting the starting Matt's Basement Workshop, there's a few things that for the show is pretty much almost separate from what I do for uh, uh, clients that are that are things that aren't featured on the show. We that's a whole other can of worms that you can get into. Yeah. But when it comes to just just the build itself for the quote unquote Matt's Basement Workshop, um, yeah, that one, like I said, that's luckily all hobby money. So there you go, fun money. Fun money. money. All right. Well, I think that just about does it. This uh, so much for a short episode. We'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll get better at that. Just just to kind of let people know what we're aiming to do here, and, and hopefully we'll hit that goal. Is to have uh, we're going to try for three shows a month approximately, and basically two shows will be like this, pre- sort of pre-recorded and then released, not recorded live. Uh, and we'll keep it rather simple. It'll be the standard format of what's on the bench and all the articles and blog posts and stuff that we find. We can share that with you. And then once a month, we want to have the live show. And we're going to make a little bit more of a big deal about the live show. And this way, we'll have more calls. Uh, we can try to take more live calls, have some voicemails, emails. And it's more about your questions on that third show just to kind of add a little spice to the mix. And hopefully, that'll be a way for us to continually pop these shows out and give you a steady stream of content. And uh, also not, um, you know, be too much work for us that we, we can't actually keep up with the pace. Right. Absolutely. So we're hoping. Bingo. Yeah. That way, yeah, like I said, get, get those questions in for when the, the live show comes up. So if you ask us a question and you don't hear hear that question answered in, uh, you know, one of the, the two pre-recorded ones, well, maybe we'll be nice enough to throw it in the live one because it's all about you, the audience. This mm-hmm. is what we live for. Sort of. <laughs> Okay, not really. Anyways, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Speaking of audience, I haven't heard from Roberto in a while. Let's Roberto, that. what's up with that, yo? All right, so well. anyway, so all right, so should we give them the contact information? I think uh, so. Remind them. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Well, here we go. If you want to email us because of something you heard today, or something you want to hear, contact us at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com. Of course, you can call and leave us a voicemail over at six two three two four two five one eight zero. Skype us at woodtalkonline. Find us over at Twitter as Renaissance Woodworker, at Wood Whisperer, or at MBW Podcast. Look for us on Facebook, and of course, find us over at woodtalkonline.com. And if you can't remember if any of the stuff I just said, don't worry about it. We'll have it in the show notes to make it that much easier for you to get a hold of us. Cool. So with that said, I think we should shut this one down and... We'll talk about these people off air. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, yeah, oh, let's just say uh, happy and safe woodworking. And hopefully everybody's getting out in their shop because the weather is getting better and warmer. And uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit more buzz and activity going with the show. Absolutely. And let me say a very happy birthday to both of my co-hosts a little bit early. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I uh, thank you. I feel bad that we totally missed Shannon's birthday, but... Yeah, that's all right. I'll be scarred for a while, but... But I'll you got to you got to like we're you know we're dudes here so you, you got to come out and say it otherwise we just don't know about it. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Matt, yeah. Matt and I come out of the gates going, "Hey, it's my birthday." It's my birthday. <laughs> Would you get me? <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we don't have to thank the chat room tonight, so that's a little bit different for us. But hopefully, you enjoy the show, and we'll have more for you soon. So, uh, toodaloo. See ya. Bye. Planning for your next trip. 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.